Hello there, it's Sam here from Marketing Meanders with Sally and Sam. Today we have a truly sensational podcast. It's the first of our big interviews and it's a meander into market research with Amanda Clayson's. And I think you'll agree with me by the time you've listened to part one and part two of this podcast that Amanda's got some fantastic examples and some really interesting insights into the world of market research, why we should use it, how we should use it, and why people don't use it as much as they should, the potential pitfalls of trying to do it yourself, the benefits of doing it yourself, the even greater benefits of commissioning some proper market research from market researchers into your, funnily enough, market your product, your customers, your audiences. And I think you're going to really enjoy this one. So please stay tuned. Just a little reminder, some uh, parish notices, as it were. We'd love to hear from you about any of the topics which we're discussing on the podcast. And in particular, at the moment, we are interested in hearing from people about marketing budget cuts. If you've been through this before, which you almost certainly have, most of you, what advice and experiences, tips do you have for the next generation of marketers and also small business owners who are currently going through this with the COVID pandemic in particular, making budgets very constrained? What advice would you give? We'd love to just get a collection of this information and then share it on the pod. Also, perhaps invite some people on to contribute. That would be really interesting. So if you can send any of your thoughts and insights or just introduce yourself uh, to our Twitter account, that's at MeandersPod, at MeandersPod, or you can email us, which is MeandersPod at gmail.com. That's MeandersPod at gmail.com. Uh, please also share the podcast if you're enjoying it with others out there. The best way to get hold of us is at our anchor site, which is anchor.fm forward slash marketing meanders, anchor.fm forward slash marketing meanders. Or you can get hold of us on a whole host of other podcast providers. We are across a whole number of networks, so you will find us there. And if you like what you hear, please do share us with any of your other colleagues or friends out there who you think might find this interesting. That would be really lovely. So, without further ado, let's get on to the episode. This is A Meander Through Market Research with Amanda Clayson's. Enjoy. Welcome to uh, Marketing Meanders with Sally and Sam. Today we are absolutely delighted to be joined by Amanda Clayson's, who uh, runs a marketing agency called Ace Market Research, and that is based uh, in High Wycombe, I believe. And uh, Amanda has a number of years experience in, in market research and is a very good egg and has got an awful lot of very interesting insights, which I think we'll be exploring in, in our next episode and potentially even two episodes. So watch this space or rather listen to this. Uh, and so we will be exploring that very shortly. And I will let Amanda actually give us a little bit of a, an intro about herself as well. So we get the, the proper uh, information about a bit of her background and, and the work that she does now. And I also would like to know from her, just as an intro, to understand what her favourite dish is. So Amanda, over to you. Hello, um, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. You are my first podcast, which is very exciting. Um, so in essence, I am a market researcher. I spend my day asking questions, being really nosy. I love numbers. I'm a bit of a data geek. Um, and that's me, really. I'll try to not turn it into an interview for you two because I like asking a question or two. Um, I do live in High Wycombe, you got that right, with my partner and Mango, my tiny lion, who might make an appearance with his little meow if he needs feeding. Um, Favourite dish? That is really difficult. I think I like food. I like food a lot. Um, perhaps now with the autumn, 
rice dinner, so roast beef, Yorkshire pudding, horseradish. Three months ago, though, I probably would have said chicken and avocado salad. So what about you guys? Good choice, good choice. I think the roasts are good. One. Actually, I made a roast the weekend, and, and I've started making my own Yorkshire puddings in the last oh, couple nice. of weeks. So, uh, uh, seems to be working quite well. They they splurged a bit this weekend, actually. So, uh, but um, <laughs> I, I do enjoy cooking. I've been doing a lot of cooking uh, in the last few months in the in the, in the lockdown, actually. So, uh, yeah, I, all sorts really. But I, my my favourite always used to be toad in the hole when I was growing up. It was always my meal I had uh, for my birthdays. Um, but I probably moved on more. I mean, chicken is my favourite meat these days. I would say it's uh, that's not just a health thing. I just like the taste. So, <laughs> in combination, but... I'm incredibly lovely lucky because I live with a chef, and um, wow. In fact, Last weekend, we had some people around for dinner and we had, um, which was lovely, haggis towers, followed by venison stew. It was just magical. Oh, wow. Maybe I won't bother anymore. (laughs) Oh, wow. Lovely. Oh, I love haggis. Love haggis. Absolutely wonderful dish. I don't think I've ever had haggis. Oh, never turn your back on haggis. It's a magical food. It's okay. fantastic. Neat and to try. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. I love, love, love having haggis. But yep. uh, I must get another one for this winter, actually. That's a good one after a long walk in the countryside, isn't it? Yes, perfect. So definitely get sorted. Introduce your children to it and make them stop going, oh, it's awful yuck. <laughs> it's delicious. So, yeah, keep that bit out. <laughs> yeah, just don't tell them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, well, so shall I, shall I kick on with our, our first, I say our first question? I mean, again, it's sort of on from the introduction to, to a certain extent, but um, I was just interested to know, I mean, as you said already, Amanda, about your interest for numbers and, and for asking questions. So is that, you know, what, what first inspired you to, to get into market research? And was this this career that you planned when you, when you started out in your, in your career uh, lifespan? The short answer is no, not at all. I basically didn't, I, I went through school kind of not really knowing what I wanted to do. I had friends who wanted to be accountants and I never really had that. So I can't say I was ever inspired to be a researcher. I kind of went to uni, not really knowing what I wanted to do. I chose business studies, fairly average degree. And I was really just ambling along. And when I graduated, I still was none the wisest. I'm like, okay, I need to get a job now. You know, this is it. I can't study for any more. Um, so I took a job in a telephone interview unit of a market research agency. So I spent my summer um, on a customer satisfaction program, calling people who'd had their windscreen replaced and asking them, asking them to rate the service. And, you know, it's okay, it paid the bills, paid some mum's student loan off. Um, I moved around, I went into the print department, into quality control, where I was just checking piles and piles of paper questionnaires. This was kind of long before tablets and the internet and the mobile internet and all that kind of stuff. And I found actually I really enjoyed kind of the nature and the variety. And every day was different. There's always a different project. So I thought, okay, let's give this a go. Found a graduate trainee job and a tiny agency in Oxford. And I stayed there for 20 years. And then 2015, I was like, no, I can do this on my own. So I set up on my own. And that's it. So kind of a, a, a meandering career, actually. And uh, I think in a previous life or in another life, I might be a math teacher because I love, I love the whole numbers thing. But um, yeah, I still get to play with numbers all day. So I'm perfectly happy. So what, can you just very, I'm going to go slightly meander immediately. Can you explain to us why is data such a key part for market research? Well, I think because, because I'm, I'm, there are two types of research, there's quant and qual. I can't say their full names, qualitative and quantitative. I have to say them like a child, quantitative. <laughs> so thankfully, they are um, 
shortened. So I am quant. So basically ask a lot of people, a lot of questions and you get enough information back that you can spot the trends and you can spot the patterns and yeah. you can look for significant differences. And that's when it gets a bit math, mathy geeky, but you can say, well, actually this, this is really happening. This isn't just a fluke. It isn't just one random person who said it. Actually, there's a pattern here and this is real and true. Got it. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Mm. That's interesting, actually, because I, I might, um, uh, no, I'll come to it later on, actually, my, my, <laughs> my point, my extra question there, because I think there's this, as I'll allude to later on. I'm scared to... about this extra question now. It's going to be like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no, not scared at all. No, no, no. So it's, uh, but it's this interesting thing. I mean, actually summed up, I suppose, almost in, in qual and, and quant, really, the, the, the science and the art of marketing yeah. business, and the, you know, your sort of clients, as it were. Um, and oh, who knows? Why, why am I going to it now? Hey, let's just throw caution to the wind. Um, so, but it, it, it was influenced by um, uh, something I wrote about recently, someone I used to work with um, at the business school. So, uh, Andrew Stephen, who's the professor of marketing there. And he's, he's written in this, or one of the contributors to this new Facebook online book, which is uh, called Build Brilliant Brands. So, they like alliteration. Um, and he basically, he talks about, you know, how uh, the gut instinct and then being formed by data and there's the interplay between the two when you're making decisions in marketing. Um, and, and he mentions, you might appreciate this, that statistician George Box, who uh, he take, took a quote from him saying, essentially all models are wrong, but some are useful. That was his quote. <laughs> and, uh, and basically, uh, I mean, this is something I said, well, I, I, I agree with what he's saying here, Andrew Stephen, he said about, you know, we should try and be, uh, you know, professional skeptics. Uh, we need to think about proposed answers and hypotheses to be tested, be informed by data, but not driven by data. Um, and when we, with this in mind, do, do you think there is sort of this boundary? I suppose, I don't know if you see it in your clients, this boundary between the sort of the gut instinct influenced by experience and understanding of, well, I think I know my market and this is what they want and this is a good marketing campaign. And then the actual, okay, and then here's the evidence. So you take the two into consideration before you then, you know, make your, your decisions about what, whatever campaigns or strategy you might have. I think so. I mean, I think there are, there are kind of two people either get research or they don't. And if they don't, they're always going to be the kind of person that goes on gut and, you know, fair play. They're going to get it right some of the time. They're going to get it wrong some of the time, aren't they? Um, I think the people who do kind of place some faith in the data, um, I've forgotten what the question was now. Sorry, don't know. So like fish. No, it's all right. No, so just the yeah. The, I mean, the, the boundary between that sort of the the I suppose that you know more the gut instinct and then the and all the art and the science, the sort of left and the right hand brain kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Within a, within a marketing team, you're going to have people who are more the you know the creatives and then the the the, the more data driven people. Particularly now, I mean, increasingly that's the thing, isn't it? We just see the more and more we use digital the more and more you sort of say well here's all this data the thing i find most of the time is people just go don't um i don't know it's all there but they don't they don't quite know how to consume yeah, it people don't, don't know how to what to do with it yeah brilliant. I've got all of this data but what am i going to do and yeah. i think that that's where the kind of a role of a data analyst would come in to look at all the, all the data that's being gathered whether it's like be by Google, Google Analytics or your CRM system. You've got all of that stuff there, and that will be a wealth of information that you've already got. You don't need to pay for it, do you? So if a team, <laughs> if a team had um, a data analyst who's looking at that kind of, you know, how often are people buying? What are they buying? What times of year are they buying? And develop a pattern and a trend rather than going, 
God, yeah, we're always really busy in March. Um, but actually look at the data and analyze it and see, is that true? And why is it? And what is it? What is really busy in March? Is it one particular thing? Yeah, what's um, making this happen? Yeah, I think I think you're right, though. We've got a very kind of people, and also there's a bias, isn't there? People, mm. oh, well, we've done it like that, and we're always busy in March, and mm. are you really? And it's like when people um, have a chat. So if you're putting on an event, on an event, and you have a chat with the attendees, you've already got your preconception about what is going well and what you are not happy with. Yeah. So you're going to listen to the things that are already in your head, but you're not going to notice the people who are whinging about the coffee being cold. But actually, that might stop them coming again because they really like coffee and it's important to them. I mean, do you so, have clients that don't want to hear what you tell them? Sometimes, yeah. I think there's always there will always be something in a project that is encouraging and good for them. So okay. it's a case then of, of telling the story in a way that, you know, okay, this is a bit rubbish, but actually, look, here's all the other good stuff. And actually, the good stuff tells you how to make the rubbish stuff better. Okay, yeah, so, so that's, that's learning from your mistakes, really. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly. I mean, there will be, you know, ad campaigns that are completely bombed and they spend a fortune and actually no one cares or no one gets the message or someone has an amazing idea, taking your idea of handbags. So you've got your amazing idea for your goo that goes on your handbag in your um, imaginary handbag company. Do you know that people want the goo? Are they not already buying it from someone else? How much do they want to pay for the goo? You might want to sell it at £8, but if they've only got four, if they only want to pay £4, then there's a problem there isn't there and that's i mean that's where the market research comes in because some people might think oh they don't want the goo and actually they do want the goo it's just too expensive and you need to get the market research out there to find out whether yeah. what's stopping them buying this goo yeah or is it that your handbag is so amazing it's going to last for 20 years previously they've only ever bought a handbag that lasts six months and they throw it away they've never yeah. known that they needed the goo until they've had your handbag for two years and go oh actually do with a bit of shining i need yeah, some goo that's right. yeah. yeah that's right Really interesting, actually, on this, because, I mean, it makes me think of a thing in terms of the, you know, looking at the product and the product research. And then I suppose the market is in, in clues in the world, I guess, isn't it? But the market outside of our of our knowledge as well. So all the things, the things, the unknowables, things we don't know at the moment, which we want to find out about. Mm -hmm. It makes me also think that in a way, I don't know, it makes me think that a project is a sort of it's a slice through time. Isn't it? It's a snapshot in time yeah, of yeah. this is the state of play, cutting through this particular market with these particular people at the moment but the fact that obviously that's that there's always going to be the shifting sands that the the, the move you know, say not just not to put that word disruptive in there but just the evolving marketplace will change consumer habits change and so therefore it's almost having a um, not not being consistent in our thinking thinking that well this this approach we've always done and this product we've always produced will always be effective and will always work you say like your event the marketing event will always work um, with our customers because it always has but the way in which you analyze whether it's working or not perhaps needs to be consistent but obviously it's going to give you different answers as the market mm -hmm. evolves i suppose yeah and it, it's looking for for reasons why it's changing so for example going so you you've done your research on your handbag goo you're about to launch it but actually six months later sorry six months before someone else has launched a better goo so actually what you're saying about it being a snapshot in time yeah it was how they thought then but actually someone's jumped the gun and got in there before you so yeah, it's always ever, only ever going to be a snapshot in time. But if you then build, so if you're repeating it and doing it every six months, then you will see a picture yeah. and it would be very unusual for things to shift 
it would it would take a big events like covid or whatever for things to massively shift yeah um, I and mean, how much time does it take to actually um set a trend that you can actually rely on so this genuinely is a trend it's not just lots of little snapshots it, it's going to depend on what your product is and how fast moving your market is but yep. i would say so if i'm if i'm doing an annual employee engagement study so let's assume we haven't got covid in our lives um so if we did the study in year one you'd look at year two and you can see what's changed year three you then go right okay so is that is that a trend always on the up is it fairly stable and so by year three to four you can kind of say okay a pattern is starting to emerge yeah that's right because i know that i was obviously i was terribly excited when i found on faith on um, excel that you can set a trend line for a graph that's very thrilling <laughs> but it's very easy i think probably if you don't understand it properly to set that trend line and actually with the only the data you're looking at is six weeks hmm. that's yeah. not a trend. and you haven't got the whole three years yeah. beforehand when it was doing this yeah that's right yeah yeah so it's kind of looking at the, at the whole picture and saying what's relevant for me do i want to look at just these last three weeks because i know something was happening and you know we're on the up and spent a million pounds on our new campaign or is it actually i need to go back five years because we've been doing the same thing forever right. and this massive dip that's going on here in the grand scheme of things might not really matter that's right so you do need to be quite careful about when you're doing market research it's uh, to the remember you have to remember really closely that this is a snapshot yeah yeah because yeah. it's very tempting to think oh everyone thinks this yeah everyone thinks this oh my god that's amazing everyone wants my product but actually what you're doing is a snapshot at that moment in time yeah. you could you could be confident enough that everyone really does want that if you've spoken to enough people um but yeah it still only will be at that moment in time that's right and it is a, and how I mean, when you're doing the research how on earth do you choose who you're going to question depends what you want to ask them so um let's take your handbags again so you want to know if people want to buy your goo so first of all you'd go to people who bought your handbags in the past so no point going to someone who bought your handbag yesterday because it's still shiny go back to people who bought your handbag a year ago ask them see what they think if they're thinking oh yeah it's a good idea go back to people who bought it 18 months ago okay. are they still wanting it you could find that if we go back to two years ago they've already bought the goo they found it from someone else so they they're going to need a different marketing campaign because they need to be taken away from the competitor um you could then go to people who haven't even bought a handbag from you and say look at my lovely handbags they come with special goo so it's thinking about what what you want to find out and okay. then you can find what audience is most relevant because That's what you don't want to go do is ask your three mate best mates who bought your handbag they'll say yeah i'd love to buy you goo and then you go oh brilliant everyone wants to buy my goo yeah because i think that's a real danger if you don't get a professional to do it that you're asking people who you know are going to say a certain answer yeah because that's very or even even if they say i'm not even they say, yeah i'll be completely honest your friends and your colleagues are not going to say to your face that shit <laughs> they just won't yeah well so, well they might but you probably won't ask those ones no yeah exactly because <laughs> you've got your own bias going on yeah. and you'll have, you'll have projected what you want them to say onto them yeah it's why you need to ask an external analyst to do it for you because it's too I mean, if you, it, particularly if you're a small business but even big businesses i suspect they're 
biases become even bigger and stronger. I used to work for um, Penguin Books and Penguin Books believed that absolutely everybody knew what their colophon looked like. So everyone knew what that was. And they went into a bookshop, everyone knew it was. So we employed market researchers to, they brought books onto a table and they all had their old colophons. And they said, okay, which one of these do you recognize? And they were, we were all sitting behind that screen where you can't, yeah. and you can see them. And it's fab, isn't it? Being and so nosy. The, the MD was sitting there going, oh, we're going to be the only one anyone recognizes, anybody, anyone at all. And they were sitting there. And of course, nobody did recognize anybody. And then they came to the penguin and went, oh, yeah, I think that might be Iceland food. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant yeah, and it was a perfect it was an eye-opener for me yeah and I think also when you're when you're in your business you are so consumed by it that that getting someone external who who doesn't have all of that baggage around your products and how amazing you are and to be objective about it is really useful I mean that's not to say you can't do it yourself you totally can but you'll always have that level of oh well, my product's brilliant isn't it no one's gonna say anything horrible about it because it's amazing and yeah oh, i don't want to hear that yeah, yeah. not li not hearing it when they do say something bad because that happens when you're doing product development if you've decided that it's your handbags have got to have um handles that are three foot long the first time somebody says no you tend to go oh that's not really what they mean yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes or actually i don't want them to be a customer anyway they're not my target audience well. yeah that's yeah. right and it's really dangerous Unless you've got an Excel, Excel person saying, no, they really do say that. Mm -hmm. And also, I think if you're doing it yourself, <laughs> there is, there is a, a, a chance that you might go, oh, God, that person didn't like the three-foot hand, handle. And then you, you focus on that one person, but that's only one person, and you've spoken to 20 others. So yeah. you're not going to change everything just because of that one person, but they've got right. in your head and, and have irked you. So you might not make it yeah. when actually 19 people love it. That's a very good point. And that's another reason why you need to look at the data properly and actually see it in graph form, not just remember the voices people are talking to yeah, you. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah do you find that? I mean, because in terms of like bias in, in, in what happens, but bias in the brief effectively as well. So oh, totally. Got, um, yeah. So almost your job begins when you're, you've got this dis dispassionate, objective, you know, feedback. So someone comes on and says, right, what we want is for you to do this and we think that this is the most important feature of the handbag happens like, all, all the time i'd like some research that proves my product is the most well known okay wow. how about we take a step back and let's do a project where we look at all the different handbags in the market and we tell you which is the most well known yeah, that's yeah. really interesting yeah. yeah but i guess you can totally understand why people do that because they they're they're consumed in their product and that's what they want to find out, isn't it? Ultimately, they want some figures and some data and some stats that can say, we've surveyed a thousand people and look, 89% of them love my handbag. Yeah, that's right. So that ultimately is what you want. But yeah, there is a massive amount of bias in there already. Yeah. So almost like you could say, because you said earlier on as well about, you know, the, the, the benefits you get from conducting the market research, obviously is in the research itself, but also makes me think in terms of, you know, if I'm, you know, if I'm, if I'm someone commissioning uh, some research, there's probably a lot I can learn about my product, myself, my team, our own biases effectively in the whole process of doing this, you know, actually understanding, well, actually, God, yeah, we always assumed it was this, you know, so it's not mm -hmm. actually perhaps the direct data points that you're looking at, but you go, okay, I mean, I suppose with anything, whenever you interact with someone in a sort of a, an external point of view, you just, it's a bit of a wake up call, isn't it? Just to step back and think, okay, hang on a second, maybe we should just 
think about this in a different way and you know just 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 come up for air almost but um, I suppose that's an ancillary better oh, got that word in there an ancillary benefit of of commissioning some of this research yeah I think that there will always be something that comes up that you don't really think about that you hadn't kind of even considered oh gosh, that's really interesting so so why do those people particularly like the buckle that's really interesting and yeah. and then it's kind of digging around and delving okay well look actually the so let's say it's it's women who are particularly liking the buckle on your satchel okay well, why are they liking it <clears throat> okay and then you look a bit further so it's women with young children and then it's women with young children who are at preschool and it's perhaps that the buckle is really easy for them to open when they're holding a child yeah so it's, it's looking at the data and finding the picture of why that is particular so that's great for them everyone else doesn't really care about the buckle but that's that's good, alternatively that, that makes picture. it a fantastic marketing ploy because yeah. you've now discovered that you can market this to people that are carrying children and that's yeah yeah because you've got great, a bad buckle and look at all these people that love the buckle <clears> because of the yeah Yes, the yeah, unexpected yeah. benefits of market research. You were looking for one thing and you learned thing thing B that's yeah. in a different direction. That's brilliant. Yeah, totally. As well as finding out about thing A at the same mm. time. Yeah. yeah. A whole wealth of, of data in there that you can go, oh, okay. And then you end up with lots of little leads of, oh, okay, let's go and explore this and let's have a look here. Yes, it's a stop it being massage, I mean, ego massaging. Because I think some of it, you're right, when people are saying, <clears throat> we want this to be proved that we're the best product, then that's, you just know that actually it's not, you the marketeer that wants that it's the board that want to be told in a, in a report that you've written for them that this is the best product in the world and yeah, it can and everything's fine and, yeah it's interesting actually because talking about the whole you know the the the, the mother with the baby and uh, and, and holding it beside mm. or with the toddler walking to school and everything um it makes me think about a conversation with our audiences which we had the other day about personas and we didn't actually put this, I think, in an original, <laughs> in a question to you, but I was interested as well in how much work you, you, know, you do with, with businesses in, in terms of personas and creating or, or proving personas. Because I used an example where uh, I was working for this large institution and they did uh, a massive amount of, huge amounts of data. It was, the quantitative stuff was extraordinary. There, there, was, there was so much information and they produced these personas. But as I say, they produced about 30 or more. And the only thing was, was the practical application of actually mm -hmm. understanding 30 personas. So do, you, do you, I don't know, do you have, you've, have you done that work in the past? Or do you find Yeah, that? so I have a couple of clients. One of them is um, a large media company. So they're, they're forever evolving their product, which they've got, they've got their main product and then three or four other brands. And they do a lot of persona work. So it would be, oh, we've developed a new portal and we think that Caroline's going to love it. Caroline is 40 and she does, you know, you've got the whole picture and you've got a little picture of Caroline smiling. And then um, in terms of that, how I would get involved with that is, is they then hold some focus groups, which is false. It's not necessarily my expertise, but I can help to recruit people for the qual. So we would recruit people who they who they've determined to be a Caroline to pitch up to the focus group where they will test to see if the Carolines really like the product and whether they are all thinking the same way. Yeah, in, really interesting actually to see. Focus groups in general are interesting actually because it's it's where you get the truth out of genuine people's mouths that you know people can see how difficult is it to find to recruit people for a focus group that's another how long is a piece of string question depends what so so in this the case i've just um 
spoken about, the client has a list of people who use their product. So they can give okay. me their database of women who are this age, who have all the characteristics that they've decided is a Caroline. So that's really easy. They give me a list of a thousand people, just have to make, well, a few, have to make some calls, encourage them to come along. If you're wanting people who possibly might want a handbag um, that has this special buckle because they've got a child, then you're probably in the situation where you need to go and stand outside a oh. nursery okay. and approach people. So yeah, right. it's not difficult, but it could be really labour intensive. Yeah, I was going to say, when you think about it, that's going to take hours, more weeks yeah. potentially. Or you go to a panel provider. So there are so many online panels at the moment. Oh, okay. You pay for access to a list or a panel and you send them a little mini survey saying we're doing this. But in some ways that's self-selecting. So you'll only get people who are potentially wanting to do it for the money or a free handbag. Yeah. Whereas actually if you're having a face-to-face -face or a telephone conversation, it's much easier. Yeah. to assess that they are the right kind of person yes it's easy to forget that self-selecting bit i was i used to um do i was um work with students at brooks university we were working on the publishing course and one of the things they had to find out in their first year was how many people do actually read books and one whole group spent a whole day doing this intense research about who reads books and they'd written some really clever questions they were all good and they stood for the whole day outside blackwell's and they came back and I said, why do you think you've made a fundamental mistake and are going to have to go and do it again? And they went, don't know, Blackwell's is a bookshop. Mm, that's yeah. a dire mistake. Oh, I thought you were going to say they did it in the library, so it's not quite that bad. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, but again, that's something because you're, they were so engrossed in it, they're thinking, okay, books, where will I find books? Bookshop, yeah. Yeah, so yeah really easy mistake to make so. it's much more difficult than you think because you think market research oh well, i'll just ask a few people and then it'll all be easy and i'm sure it's a much more complicated yeah, and B, well, you forget all your biases yeah it's finding the right people to ask and what are you going to ask them and when are you going to ask them yeah there's 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 a whole list of um, yeah. yeah a lot of things we should think about I suppose it's getting a big enough, the big enough sample, isn't it, really, for the meaningful, uh, meaningful research? Because I mean, I, I used to, I actually used to work on a, a desk opposite market research, two market researchers actually, in in a, an organisation I worked with, where they were they were doing market research with doctors, and so, but there it was it was perfect because they had a whole database of you know all the GMC registered doctors mm -hmm. in the yeah. UK. And they basically could go out and we were marketing. Well, it wasn't our sole thing we did, but it was one of the things we did. We would you know, sell market research of doctors, of course. And we then, I had a database with those beautiful um, breakdowns of seniority, position, you know, uh, specialty, everything was there. So they could just go out to them and then they just have to recruit, you know, X and a number, you know, 100 for this one, 200 for that one. Mm -hmm. They'd incentivize it a bit, but, um, but they knew exactly who they were going after and knew you know how to have a meaningful sample but yeah. i suppose one question people might be asking if they're maybe a small business owner or or a marketer who's not really commissioned market research in the past as well i mean one thing we've already mentioned is the brief like it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on what you know what makes a a decent workable brief to, for you to receive or to, to begin to as a starting point but then also what they sort of think in terms of well how many people and, and what what you know who do i need to be talking to we've already mentioned where you start with like your existing customer base but some people might be a bit sort of oh well just complete finger in the air are there any sort of tips that they can have to understand where to start with all this they mm -hmm. you know the very beginnings of thinking need market research so in terms of in terms of the brief they i quite often will have people approach me saying 
can you help me decide whether to open a sandwich shop? Or can you tell me whether my t-shirt business is going to be a success? I'm like, well, I can help you, but I can't actually tell you because that, if you've got a business plan. So I think, I think because people don't understand what research is, there's an element of, okay, I've got a new business idea. I need to research it. But without a clear idea of what you're going to do, I can't research that. So you, before you put the brief together, you need to know what you want to find out and why. What are you going to do with it? Why are you doing it? Mm. And lots of people are doing research because they have to. Because they've got to do it to tick a box, which is fine. You know, lots of um, compliance things you have to survey your audience or, you know, prove that you've spoken to people. It's absolutely fine. But lots of people are doing it because they kind of someone has said they should or because they're not really sure you need to know why you're doing it and really what you want to find out and what are you going to do with those results where are they going they're going right up to the board they're going to get scrutinized so that's another level of of things to think about if they're just going to be used for you to say okay i've got this ad and this i'm not really sure we like both of them they're both the same it's not the end of the world if we pick the wrong one then that's a very different level of, of brief needed than something that's a lot more yeah. detailed. Yeah. But I think the three things would be what, what do you want to find out and why, what are you going to do with it? Mm. And lots of people don't, don't have that. It's like, well, my business is doing all right, but I think I need some research. Okay. Well, why, what do you want to find out? Why do you need research? Maybe that's me just asking my questions the whole time, but I would always go back with a why, why, what are you trying to find out? Yeah, but I think that's really important. I mean, to be honest, with you, for every kind of bit of marketing as well, once you've got the research and you know that people are buying these handbags in on the Wednesday, not a Thursday, well, what does that going to tell you? Does that mean you're going to change, pivot all your marketing to make sure that you're marketing to people on Tuesday rather than Friday, which is what you were doing before because you thought they were doing it on Saturday? It's got to have a real um business change to your mm -hmm. if you're going to do the research to make it return to get any kind of return on it you've got to make some specific changes to what you yes. do as yes. a result of this research and also if you're not prepared to make that change so don't ask a question that you're not going to address yeah you see that so many times of um yeah for example with your marketing what day of the week would you like to receive an email from us and if they say monday if you've got no intention or you can't do it on a monday why bother asking it's just yeah. going to piss them off isn't it if you yeah. oh, we told you we wanted it on a monday you haven't <laughs> yes. done anything so you know yep. don't ask questions that you can't change or address yeah absolutely and, and it's also i mean with that i think interesting what you say when people they either maybe they think well yeah i have to do this or, or there's some sort of report i need to justify or i'm launching a new product or a new you know version of my product that's probably the key places when they start with it but i mean some people and particularly in these times i suppose they might be thinking gosh well again how long is a piece of string definitely is going to be the is the reply to this but how, how expensive this because people might be thinking well a i don't really know what market research is but b i'm thinking well do i need to then go out and sample you know thousands and thousands of people and it's going to cost a huge amount of money but but clearly it all can be worked out from a a, a, a clear model of you know as you say what, what are you trying to find out why are you trying to find it out and who you're going to will we'll then suggest how how, how much budget you require for it because perhaps they haven't factored it in to begin with their, their understanding of how much they should spend on on market research as part of a product launch for example yeah totally and again it is how long is that piece of string if you're speaking to 
a thousand people who are based internationally and you need to buy a telephone, then of course that's going to cost considerably more than if you're doing a focus group for six people. Um, so yeah, there is there it it can be expensive or it can be done relatively cheaply. Online, fantastic tool. There are so many free tools, SurveyMonkey, SurveyGizmo, I mean there's loads of them, where you can for free get an account, send a questionnaire within 10 minutes to your audience. It gives you a good snapshot. Yep. So and what's that cost? A couple of hours of your time. Yep. Mm. But yeah, you could spend tens of thousands of pounds trying to reach your audience. And again, it depends what 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 is your budget and what are you trying to achieve? And is that investment something that that is important to you? You know, if it's a massive, great big global product launch, then yes. But you know, if you're just trying to work out whether to use add A or B, then yeah. you know, you don't need to be spending hundreds of thousands or even hundreds of pounds. And on that note, we will wrap up part one of our market research meander with Amanda Clayson's. Hope you're enjoying it so far. And thank you for listening. Part two will follow, well, in the coming days, hopefully. And we'll be exploring the impact of technology on market research, the quality of questions and presenting research and making use of it. So if you'd like to hear about that, then please do tune in again. Hopefully you've already subscribed to the podcast. And if you wish to share it with any of your contacts, then they can find it wherever they access their podcast. We're across multiple networks now, so please do encourage them to subscribe. And you can get in touch with us at MeandersPod on Twitter. That's MeandersPod. If you wish to submit any questions or have anything you'd like to discuss on a future episode, or even if you'd like to come along and have an interview with us on a future episode, hopefully you will be able to join us at some stage. We'd love to hear from you. So that's all for now. Thanks very much, everyone. See you soon. Bye.